lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday to all of you. It's the final full week of the year for the Steve Dace Show before we head off to our winter or perennial winter vacation. You're still going to hear from us, though. We're going to be filling in for Glenn Beck a couple of days while we're off, but we just won't be here every single day after we leave a week from Monday. But until then, the mediocrity will continue. Merry Christmas to all of you. My name is Steve Dace. Aaron McIntyre is here with me, as is Todd Erzin. If you would like to let us know what you think about what we think, you can do so via the SteveDace.com inbox. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook over on the uh, Facebook free speech alternative MeWe at Steve Dace at both places. Also, if you go over to my Facebook page today, I have linked up there the conversation at did about an hour uh, conversation yesterday uh, just on my own life, testimony, state of masculinity in America with uh, the folks over at Promise Keepers. You can watch that video over on our Facebook page today, facebook.com slash Steve Dace. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Steve Dace Show uh, over on Parlor at Steve Dace. The last name is D-E-A-C-E, by the way. And then check out our new YouTube channel. Uh, that's youtube.com slash Steve Dace. So a lot of different ways that you you can interact with us. Of course, today is a very big day. Uh, it has finally arrived. Uh, my new book, A Nefarious Carol, is out now. You can go and buy the book. It's supposed to be bookstores nationwide. We just don't know what bookstores are open nationwide. And then there's the shipping process. Okay, so if you want to make sure you get your copy, go to Amazon.com. You can order it right now. The book is out right now. I'm already hearing from several of you that uh, got the audio version or you already have uh, gotten the Kindle version and read it already. That's cool. If you don't mind leaving us, if you love the book, five-star reviews, those help us uh, to get uh, more promotion over at Amazon.com as well. We're going to tell you a lot more about the book later in the show. It's going to be the topic of our Pop Culture Tuesday. Some of you, I'm sure, heard me uh, on Glenn Beck's program a little while ago discussing it. Quite an honor for Glenn to say he's going to be reading this uh, to his own family over the holidays. That's how much he loves this story. So we're going to talk uh, about this story and how do you write a sequel to a book that ends with a demon general from hell um, saying um, we win you lose sucks to be you not necessarily the greatest launching off point for the story to continue right so we'll talk about how we did that that's all coming up a little bit later on in the program today but you can get your copy right now thanks to all of you that have done so already and today I'm going to try to do something unique when we get to the when we get to my new book a little bit later on, I'm going to try to sell you on buying the book on the merits of the story. One time only. Okay. Tomorrow I'm going right back to the pitch of I am owed this and my kids better get it because otherwise they won't get a Christmas. Because I'm still convinced that's the better pitch. I know we we discussed, albeit briefly, yesterday that there might be a better way. But then you guys convinced me. There isn't one. Well, it, we were just following the science. I mean, IHME came out with a model the other day saying that you'd get this many book sales if you follow the hard sell and this many book sales if you actually try to follow the merits of, of the actual book. So we were just following the science. Uh, well, you know what? It's a Christmas miracle. I'm going to show some humility and self-awareness. Coming up, uh, when we get into the book a little bit later on, I'm going to try to sell you on getting this book strictly on the merits of the story. 
admittedly, I my expectations are not high, but we are going to give it a shot. <laughs> oh, what else is coming up today? Uh, our final fake news or not of the year. Why not? Yeah. All right. Why? Why not? Even I'm there now. Whatever. I mean, the story that any other generation of Americans would have been stopped dead in their tracks at least would have given the feds the the Gary Coleman what you talking about Willis look you know what I'm saying something some kind of reaction but we're like cool story bro I'm yeah. gonna watch Tiger King for the third time yeah whatever whatevs yeah exactly okay ow my balls is on tonight <laughs> alright the US government this year on more than one occasion has acknowledged the presence of UFOs and technology that they don't understand or believe or think is native to this planet. Regardless of your views on this, it's kind of newsworthy, don't you think? Sure. Yeah. Sure. After at, at least a tad. After watching it, sure. I mean, at the very least, it probably merits a follow-up question, maybe. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And as a society, we just, we could not be bothered with this. Well, a documentary came out uh, earlier this year called Phenomenon. You can rent this now at Amazon.com. All three of us have watched this. And it, it approaches the UFO angle, or it approaches the UFO controversy from an angle we don't typically have i mean there was that guy like 30 years ago whitney scriber or whatever schreiber who was like a successful author i think or businessman, and he claimed he was abducted by aliens and and so because he had like some kind of a credible persona he was really big like on the ufo circuit but let's face it most of the time when we hear ufo stories it's you know merle with his pants halfway down his ass in a trailer park talking about how he got anally probed by the grays right yes that, that's typically right or you're listening to art bell at 4 a.m you know after the shadow people the grays right that, that's the stereotype though right okay in this documentary, we have people that used to work at um, the Department of National Intelligence. We have a guy, we have the guy that used to be the Senate Majority Leader of the United States of America. Another guy that used to be a congressman, the former um, a cabinet secretary and governor of New Mexico. Bill Richardson is in this documentary. These are people, and Pizza Gate man himself, John Podesta is in this too, okay? These are people with like real credentials you may not like any of these people but at the very least it's not normally the stable of folks that are brought forth to talk about um the visitors right right at the very least there's that okay so all three of us have watched this documentary and for fake news or not next hour i don't know what aaron thinks i don't know what todd thinks because i've talked about it they know what i think but I don't know where either one of them is coming from. And that is on purpose. For the first time, and it will be live on this show in about an hour from now, the three of us are going to share our perspectives on this documentary and what we think it means or doesn't mean going forward. Okay? Okay. I'm looking forward to this conversation because I, I have no idea what, what's going to happen and what's going to get said.
All right, so that's coming up with fake news or not. Um, at the bottom of the hour, a rebuttal to the 1619 Project. We'll get into that. But before we get to everything else, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by the Electoral College. The Electoral College officially voted yesterday to make Joe Biden the 46th president of the United States. President Trump has so far continued to refuse to concede the election to Biden. The GOP establishment in Congress was quick to congratulate Joe Biden. John Cornyn told reporters on Monday any efforts to contest the electors' votes in Congress would be, quote, futile and unnecessary. Tennessee Senator Lamar Alexander said, quote, the president election is over. Iowa Senator Joni Ernst said, I know for Iowans it's disappointing, but the process is what it is. South Dakota Senator John Thune says, at some point you have to face the music. You get the idea. A joint session of Congress still has to certify the Electoral College results, and that certification process begins with the President of the U.S. Senate, that would be Mike Pence, reading the state's electors into the record. So unless Mike Pence decides to go rogue and reads Republican electors, Electors into the record. Joe Biden will be sworn in as president next month. Learning Spanish today, today's phrase is Mike Pence will save us. Mike Pence nos salvará. Joe Biden spoke to the nation last night. And yet, and to hand the presidency to a candidate who lost the Electoral College, I thank them. And I'm convinced we can work together for the good. You know, in this battle for the soul of America, democracy prevailed. We, the people, voted. <clears throat> Moving on, the first coronavirus vaccine was administered in the United States yesterday to a frontline healthcare worker in New York. In the United Kingdom, meanwhile, where they've been vaccinating people for over a week already, the process has already been slowed after new guidelines were released by that country's health system. The guidelines stipulate that doctors must monitor each recipient of the vaccine for at least 15 minutes after they receive it. Those new guidelines were put into place after a couple of vaccine recipients developed a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine in the last week. Surgeon General Jerome Adams, who still has not deleted his tweet from early in the pandemic telling people to stop buying masks because they don't work, went on Good Morning America yesterday to say this ish. I think it's important for people to know that vaccines are going out, they're safe, and they're highly effective. And when somebody gets the vaccine, how safe are they? And should people feel free? Are they, are they safe to see them at any time, or do you still have to be careful? We still need to be careful uh, into the at least second quarter of next year because these vaccines were tested uh, with an outcome of severe disease, not a prevention of infection. So we don't know yet whether they will prevent infection, but they could prevent you from being in the hospital and ultimately uh, passing from this virus. Still incredibly important to get vaccinated, but we're going to need to continue to wear our mask, wash our hands and watch our distance as we slowly start to reopen with the assistance of these great vaccines. A new study from the Journal of the American Medical Association found that the likelihood of a person infected with COVID-19 would infect one or more people in their home is 18% if they're symptomatic. The likelihood they'll spread the virus if they're asymptomatic is 0.7%. Essentially, what this means is that it's incredibly hard to spread the virus, even in homes, one of the most likely places to spread the virus, if an infected person is asymptomatic. 
Asymptomatic spread, of course, has been one of the leading excuses for the initial and continued lockdowns and draconian virus mitigation measures across the country. Speaking of those draconian lockdowns, a video went viral yesterday of the owner of a Nick the Greek Giro restaurant in California sparring with health department officials. I followed the rules. I continue to follow the rules and you guys still time after time are giving me citations. In case you missed that, the owner says he was following health department guidelines. The health department agrees, but says his license is being revoked anyways. And since he's opening without a revoked license, he's breaking the law. Learning Chinese today, today's phrase is, you're under arrest for resisting arrest. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is facing allegations of sexual misconduct from a former aide of his. Lindsay Boylan tweeted over the weekend that the governor sexually harassed her for years. Cuomo Press Secretary Caitlin Gerard told the New York Times, quote, there is simply no truth to these claims. Crazy's update, transgender activist and YouTube star Zenaya, who goes by the Twitter name of Zenaya Adult Demon Female, has called for all children to be placed on puberty block until they can make a decision for themselves as to what gender they want to be. Noah Berlatsky of The Washington Post, NBC, and The Atlantic tweets, Parents are tyrants. Parent is an oppressive class like rich people or white people. And finally, we go back to J.P. Sears with another dagger. The world needs more bravery. 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 Bravery is refusing to get together with my friends and family that I love. Bravery is living in constant fear. Bravery is going into a fight or flight response when someone sneezes. I am brave. I am brave. I am brave. I'm brave enough to live in never-ending terror of a virus. I'm brave enough to know that politicians know what's best for me. I'm brave enough to follow orders. I'm brave enough to not reopen my business. I'm brave enough to protect my family from income. Instead of working, I'm brave enough to protect my family by letting them starve. I'm brave enough to know that self-induced poverty is in everyone's best interest. And that's what happened while we were away. I like that guy. Uh, Aaron's Montage brought to you by Simply Safe. You know, there's always a rise in break-ins during the holidays. It's why Simply Safe Home Security is having a huge holiday sale right now. 30% off any Simply Safe systems and a free security camera. That's right. 30% off and a free security camera. And recently, U.S. News and World Report called Simply Safe, quote, the best home security of 2020. So whether you're traveling or staying put for the holidays, check out that big 30% off uh, discount plus the free security camera with the security system we use in my house. We love Simply Safe. It's simple to use, so simple to install. I was even able to do it with minimal help from the wife. All right, so get 30% off right now. No long-term contracts and hidden fees and the rest of that garbage. Simply Safe, S-I-M-P-L-I is how they spell it there. SimplySafe.com slash 
truth bombs. SimplySafe.com slash truth bombs. But hurry, this holiday offer expires on Friday. All right, 30% off with a free security camera expires on Friday at simplysafe.com slash truth bombs. We're going to get into the next frontier of training madness today in the overtime. If you are a Blaze TV subscriber, we're going to tape that for you right after today's live show. It'll be uploaded to the website later this afternoon at blazetv.com slash dace, D-E-A-C-E. If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, but you want to watch today's overtime and all the other exclusive content we do each day here at Blaze TV, you can also go to blazetv.com slash dace and get a discounted subscription there today at blazetv.com slash dace. Let's get to the rest of what's in the montage. And I mean, there are several items in here that are whole shows. I mean, we could spend an entire podcast going over them, breaking them down. Um, I'm going to let's start with the Electoral College thing, because that we're going to have. Unfortunately, plenty of time to debate and discuss the efficacy of these vaccines, because what I heard the Surgeon General say is flu shot kind of uh, therapeutic, not necessarily in a, um, you know, uh, inoculation. You know, that, that is that is not what you heard. Oh, I heard that and, uh, and uh, more. That, yeah, well, there I heard more, too, but but that's what I heard. Because otherwise, it doesn't make sense that you have to continue doing these mitigation strategies with these glorious vaccines, right? Right. I mean, why pick one? Pick one or the other. Also, the asymptomatic spread thing, as Aaron said, I, I pointed this out to all of you a couple of weeks ago, the asymptomatic spread is the canard that all of our mitigation strategies is based on. The idea that we would go... And hang out with other people who didn't have corona or who didn't who were asymptomatic. We'd spread it amongst ourselves because yes, we are healthy and younger, what have you, and so we're old enough or healthy enough to not be symptomatic. But we'd go home and kill off our our sick family members, friends, and grandparents. Right. Right. Well, here's a study from JAMA, one of the leading medical journals in the country. It's a meta analysis, meaning that it incorporates numerous studies into one one uh, fell swoop of a study, one meta-analysis. And uh, what is it, almost 78,000 cases they looked at? Asymptomatic spread was 0.7%. That's right in line with what other studies that I've quoted for you this year have seen with asymptomatic spread. Can I boil this down even further? It's just behaving like every other virus to to mankind. Yes. But but let's go to the Electoral College thing because that thing's pressing right now. Something tells me that the conversation we just had for two minutes we're going to be having for 15 or 20 minutes at a time quite often when we come back from christmas vacation you you know what i'm saying sadly true yeah i think we're gonna we're gonna have ample opportunities to have that conversation let's discuss the electoral college thing right now and i'm going to use the word meta again i want to have a meta conversation with you about this because yesterday we saw four states send dueling slates of electors and people were like, I, I, that's just treasonous, scandalous to challenge our system like that. Now, you heard the same thing about the Texas lawsuit last week. 
scandalous, treasonous. What this conversation entails is two things. Number one, just old-fashioned, cold-blooded political partisanship, right? My narrative is defined by, is this the outcome that I want? That's not new, right? There's no. nothing new to that. Okay. That's a tale as old as time. But there's another facet to this conversation that is new. And it is, it is a byproduct of what happens when we permit the spirit of the age to have unfettered access to the hearts and minds of a culture in the schools, the media, and pop culture for a generation. The Electoral College was created for a couple of different reasons. One is because of population proportionment. Okay? The other was, though, um, a check and balance. What if you found out, for example, someone that won office had committed a crime that was unknown between um, uh, between uh, the time that the vote was taken and the Electoral College ratified the vote? What if you found that that person was a traitor? Um, remember, the people who wrote this document for us, uh, they had hung one of their most decorated one of one of their most decorated military leaders, Benedict Arnold, they hung him as a traitor. They, they <laughs> we keep interpreting what they meant to write through the lens of the complacency that we live today, and not through the context that they had to persevere through in their time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So these things seem odd or radical to us. It was, hey, remember that thing last Thursday with that Benedict Arnold guy? It was last week to them. It was a couple of years ago to them. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. To us, this is like an alternative dimension, you know? Um, these sorts of things, the founders would not have, well, first of all, they would have never permitted you to vote by mail to begin with, number one. But number two, the idea that you have to understand they lived in a time where there were multiple political parties. And it was personal, too. I mean, these people were often friends like Jefferson and Adams. And then when it became about domestic politics and there were splits and schisms, it wasn't just ideological with them. It was often personal. They were friends. They had just fought a revolution together. And now you kind of feel like, hey, man, this guy that I was just, you know, killing redcoats with is now turning his back on us. It, it got nasty. We, we have over-romanticized the founding era of the country like we have done with the first century church. That, you know, somehow they, because they, they just didn't have all the, dude, like the church is a week old and a couple is like, you know, man, man what's his face over there sold a bunch of his land and they made him look like he got Christian of the year award from St. Peter. So let's go sell some of our stuff and we'll pocket like 20% of it, you know, and then we'll come back and say, yeah, look how much money and we'll get to ours is worth even more money. Well, like, yeah, I mean, do we want some of that action? And Peter's like, why'd y'all lie to the Holy spirit? Dead. They just dropped dead, man. That's your first century church. <laughs> All right. People basically pulling a scam Oh, it's just so pure. 
No, it wasn't. Nah. We've overly romanticized these eras. It was deeply personal. It took Jefferson and Adams years to reconcile their relationship. Maybe that didn't even culminate until they were at the end, retired, near death. They didn't lie to themselves about human nature the way we do. See, they thought things like what we're talking about right now, that there could be a spiritual plague unleashed on a people. They even used phrases in their, their day like spirit of the age because they were very biblically literate, whether, whether they were born again believers or not. It was one of the main texts of the era of learning. So that there could be a, a, a fervor, a spirit of the age, uh, a rival religion that could sweep over a people or, or a segment of a populace, even within the colonies, and that they would then therefore decide to, to use that, the levers and powers of government to infringe and impose their, their, their new uh, belief system on everyone else. They anticipated these things. That's why we have all these checks and balances. See, the reason we have all these layers is not so that this is, this is to fulfill the pomp and circumstance of ratifying the statist conventional wisdom. It's the exact opposite. It's to give us ample opportunities to challenge it. And in the hopes that these systems, within these systems, we will challenge them here and get to some form of closure, whether we like the answer or not, but some form of closure so that we're not incentivized to challenge them in the streets, on the battlefield. That's why these things exist. That's why they gave them to us. It's the analogy I've used before. This is why there's fighting in hockey. You have a bunch of grown men operating at high speed, high stress, in a violent sport, high testosterone levels. You could just incidentally, just the puck goes by and a guy doesn't even mean to cross check your face first into the boards and break your jaw and just happens to do it because of the inertia of what's going on. And lo and behold, man, you've got this weapon, this sharpened stick weapon in your hand and I'm a guy, I'm not even thinking, testosterone kicks in, you did that to me, swing, I've slit somebody's throat with that, with that stick. That's why fighting is there. So there will be an outlet for that aggression. Somebody thinks they've been wronged, They've been infringed upon in the sport. Duke it out. And then the minute somebody gets a clear advantage over somebody else, at that point, they break it up. But you can recover from a broken jaw. A sharpened stick across um, your throat, not so much. Our founders gave us these systems to challenge things we didn't like. And layers of these systems, state legislatures to send different electors, etc. They were put in place so that we would fight these things out there. And it would get nasty and it would get personal and feelings would get hurt. Family members wouldn't talk. It sure beats a cannonball at your house though, doesn't it? Sure. Yeah. It, it sure beats um, 
there's not talking to your neighbor and then there's firing on them. You know what I'm saying? And that's why we were given these systems. And it's a very dangerous message to send to a lot of Americans that A, you are to not use these processes and systems for their intention. And then B, if you do, who knows if you have a case, if you're just full of bunk, or if you're self-deluded, we're not even going to bother to find out. We're not even going to bother. You're of so little regard to us, living with you, sharing a country with you. You are, you have, you are of so little regard to us. We're not even going to grant you a hearing. You're beneath contempt. That is a dangerous zero-sum game to play in a culture, particularly when you're talking about you're doing this to a lot of people that own the guns. And that is the number one. I'm far more concerned about that than I am Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, the Republican establishment. Those are all things that will exist in some form or shape or manner in any era east of Eden in a fallen world. But what we're talking about here is a level of existential dismissiveness that causes civil wars. And that I'm concerned about. Well, you know, I love my Built Bars. It is the best protein bar you have ever had. I promise. Somebody actually sent me a photo that they put theirs in a microwave for about 10 to 15 seconds. And they're like, this is like, this is like a piece of cake. The chocolate to strawberry flavor. I've still got some of those. They put out in October for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Those are phenomenal. Well over 20 flavors. Try the candy cane brownie for Christmas. That's great. They just came out with a white chocolate line, the sea salt caramel one. Man, there's candy bars my kids brought home from Beggar's Night that are not as good as that white chocolate sea salt caramel built bar is. All right, so uh, well into the 20s now with the numbers of flavors all covered in real chocolate. Use the promo code DACE, that's D-E-A-C-E, the promo code DACE for 20% off your first order. 20% off your first order with the promo code DACE at BuiltBar, B-U-I-L-T, BuiltBar.com. Again, that's BuiltBar.com. Well, one of the things that we have been uh, pestered, annoyed, and um, lied to about this year is the so-called 1619 Project over at the New York Times. In other words, that uh, since 1619, America has been nothing but a, uh, a racist hellhole. And that justifies smashing all your stained glass windows, Molotov cocktailing all your churches, and hitting the reboot button on uh, your culture and just completely doing away with any vestiges of Western civilization that America was founded upon. Does that pretty much summarize it? I think we got it. All right. right. Uh, There is a challenge. Someone has emerged to say, I object. Uh, The name of his book is 1620. A critical response to the 1619 Project. You know, I knew the 80s were coming back. I I was watching a Saved by the Bell marathon over the weekend, right? Who knew, man? Who knew? 
that the 1600s were going to rally in 2020, right? But here we are. Peter Wood is the president of the National Association of Scholars. He has written the challenge to the 1619 Project. Peter, Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining us here on Blaze TV. How are you? Merry Christmas. I'm well and glad to be here. So let me start by asking a very obvious question. Why do you feel like you needed to write this book? Well, I, I woke up on the morning of August 18th, 2019, to find the New York Times on my doorstep with a uh, special magazine supplement titled The 1619 Project. I read most of it that very morning and decided that this was something that couldn't stand. We needed to respond. Being the head of the National Association of Scholars, I called my staff together the next morning, and we decided then and there that our response would consist of First of all, going around finding reputable historians and asking them what they thought about some of the more outrageous claims in this document. Uh, we started doing that. Uh, it turns out we weren't alone. There were other groups who were similarly uh, aggravated and roused by what the Times had done. Um, and by January, we'd accumulated enough stuff that a book publisher approached me and said, what do you think of turning this into a book? I was a little bit uncertain. I wasn't sure that the 1619 Project was going to survive the heavy bombardment of uh, complaints from historians long enough to make a book worthwhile. But I took it on. And um, as it happens, the 1619 Project just kept getting bigger and bigger. The Times invested many millions of dollars in promoting it, Super Bowl ads, that kind of thing. Uh, it was rolled out as a curriculum in the nation's schools. And by the summer of uh, 2020, when riots were breaking out in cities across the country post the death of Mr. George Floyd in Minneapolis, mm -hmm. uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, the lead editor and primary author of the 1619 Project, declared that these were the 1619 riots. She took pride in what uh, people were doing in response to her um, declaration of war against America. So I think those are the reasons I wrote the book and the reasons why the book turns out to matter. You mentioned that prior to this book's release, there were already numerous scholarly ch uh, challenges to this. Now, one of the narratives that we have on the right is that academia is pretty much all in lockstep with this level of uh, left-wing nihilism to deconstruction or reconstructionism. And if you dare challenge it in a lot of these academic settings, except at like Hillsdale College and Liberty or anywhere else, if you challenge at any of those two places, you get you lose tenure, you get banished, etc. But from what we're hearing, what I just heard from you, though, is that the work on this project was so egregiously bad that even anybody's particular ideological bias was like, we got to call BS on that. Yes, that's what happened. I, I think that what we get here is a more complicated picture. Many of the critics are indeed um, certainly left of center, some cases considerably far left of center, but they were also historians who spent their careers studying the American Revolution, the Civil War, and so on. And they were watching with their jaws dropping as uh, what were obvious falsehoods were being promoted with real assurance that this is the new truth that had to be taught. Mm -hmm. um, they, the nature of these complaints is evident in 
the platform that many of them used to voice the complaints. They published in the World Socialist Daily. And uh, so these were name brand American historians coming out saying that the 1619 project is fundamentally wrong. Uh, they wrote also group letters to the New York Times demanding uh, some revisions in the document. Initially, they were just ignored. When they did get a response, it was a kind of go away, child, we know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and that that's where things stood. The Times stood rock fast in its belief that uh, what it had done was a righteous cause. It changed after seven months when another historian, a woman named Leslie Harris, herself African-American, came forward in Politico with the declaration that she had told Nicole Hannah-Jones and the other editors at the Times before this thing went to publication that their facts were wrong and they needed to fix them. Um, that turned out to be a bridge too far for the Times. They needed to make a correction. But the correction they made was an editor's note that changed two words in the uh, 1619 project. They went from a declaration, one of the primary causes, this is the exact words, one of the primary causes of the American Revolution was the desire of the colonists to protect the institution of slavery against the threat that the British might abolish it. So what got changed at that point was they added the words some of, so it was only some of the patriots that were fighting to protect slavery. Well, I don't want to give you a long history lesson, but the truthful answer to this question is none of the patriots were fighting for that cause because Britain had never threatened the abolition of slavery. It was the largest slave trader in the world at that point, was profiting handsomely from sending slaves. to. What are we probably 40, 40 50 years away yet from um, Britain ending its slave trade, right? Yeah. Yes. So uh, in any case, we do know why the American Revolution was fought. There's this handy short document called the Declaration of Independence, <laughs> which lays out about 30 reasons why we should uh, reject the rule of the, the king in favor of our independence. And if you pour through this uh, thing, go looking for the idea that we're, we're doing it to protect slavery, it just isn't in there. So you could join Nicole Hannah-Jones with the theory that, uh, well, that's okay because the, the white supremacists who wrote the declaration were really just covering up their real motive. And if we found deeper sources, they would tell us this. So you can go looking, as one historian did, through all of the colonial newspapers of that period, looking for evidence that, uh, yes, it's really to protect slavery. Nothing there. Or we could go looking through diaries and letters from people living at the time. Nothing there either. So it appears that Nicole Hannah-Jones just made this claim up out of thin air. Well, okay, people make up silly things all the time. They don't always get printed in the New York Times, although sometimes they do. Um, but <laughs> what, what does happen here is that this translates from a preposterous claim in the newspaper to a curriculum that is put mm -hmm. in the schools. The last page of the 1619 project, page 100, uh, is a statement from the Pulitzer Center saying that it was partnering with the Times to 
to roll this out as a curriculum. And very quickly, they signed up thousands of individual teachers and bunches of school districts, some of them quite large, like Chicago and Buffalo, to make this part of formally what we teach our children from kindergarten through senior year of high school. Um, so that to me is what really sets off alarms. Um, it's very easy to tell someone who's six or seven years old on authority, where did your country come from? Well, it came from slavery, oppression, racial injustice. That's where it started and that's what it still is. That's what it always will be. And the six or seven year old is gonna say, okay, there's no capacity there for the person to go back and say, well, what about the Declaration of Independence or what about the abolitionist movement or what about the Civil War? What about the 13th, 14th and 15th Amendments? What about the Civil Rights Movement? Those what abouts don't get asked. Instead, what they get is this nicely packaged, um, ready for Zoom. It's a uh, computer compatible set of uh, curricular modules. Uh, taught straight out as though it's fact. Um, that to me is uh, beyond alarming. This is a, a hate America curriculum being mainstreamed into the nation's schools. Final question. Does it get anything right? Hmm. Uh, I nominate for getting something right. Uh, the essay on uh, black music and its contribution to uh, mainstream music. Uh, clearly, it is mainstream music now. Uh, that's an essay that has a tone of resentment to it, but its factual claims are correct. It's also correct that slaves arrived in Virginia in August of 1619. What is missing from that account, though, is that once those slaves set foot on shore, they were no longer slaves. Virginia turned them into indentured servants. And within a few short years, they were free. They intermarried with the white population. They, in some cases, became landowners. They had lawsuits against white neighbors, which they prevailed. So clearly, they had full civil rights. So what we had in 1619 was an early experiment in racial integration. Uh, if slavery lay about 50 years in the future. So there's even where it gets things right, it gets them wrong. Other than that, it has a wonderful singing voice. Uh, Peter Wood is here with us from the National Association of Scholars. You can get his new book, 1620, a critical response to the 1619 project. If you're in one of these schools that you found out they were entertaining this, this is a good book for you to get as an antidote to that uh, as well. Peter, enjoyed, uh, en enjoyed the way you just in a very academic, scholarly, dignified way completely disemboweled every single one of these arguments thank you for joining us brother take care all right thank you bye-bye all right i liked him i i just um i just i just liked the way he just there was a certain understated it lacked the flair of a william f buckley like eventually william f buckley would just look at gory vidal and said you jane you ignorant slut like, like he would try this tactic and then ultimately if Gory Vidal still maintained his hold on lunacy, then then Buckley would just start calling him names. OK, but, but um, there was a certain understated. Um, yes, it, it is my turn. And, and now I will, uh, in accordance with all acknowledged facts, completely and totally disregard everything you just said. Right.
Yeah. I, I, I appreciate it. <laughs> well, his, his, he's clearly a, very, a, a serious man, but when he threw in that, well, there's this little easily readable document called the Declaration of Independence. Yes. You may have, I mean, he, you can tell he's reached his point of, I, I can't even. And here's why I wanted uh, to get him on the show. You always ask us what you can do Listen, buy this book and be prepared for the next four years because this train's a coming. Mm -hmm. And listen, it doesn't matter if you don't have any kids in the school district. It anymore. doesn't matter who gets sworn in January 20th. No, no. I mean, if, you, if no, somehow no. If there's yeah. some miracle and, and Trump finds some way to win this thing, right. then they're, they're going to triple down on all of this stuff. Yes. Right? Uh, because it'll be a triple scolding. And then if Biden gets inaugurated, then it'll be like, dude, it's a triple right. evangelism. One way, But it ain't going away. Right. It, you're going to get more of it one way or the other. So yeah. my advice to you, if you want to, as easily as anything else, run for school board. Doesn't mean it, it doesn't matter if you have kids there. Find out the people who lock down schools, uh, kick them out, and be there for arguments like this. I, if there's one piece of advice universally I could give you across the board, it would be to do that. Because if you're in a patriot, this fight's a coming, and we need you standing on that wall. I've compared the 1619 Project before to kind of an upside-down, inverse version of a papal encyclical. And that is, I, I think that has been confirmed over and over again. A progressive, critical race theory version of a papal encyclical. Todd is absolutely right. This train is, is coming. And so we need to be prepared for that. View this as a rival religion. And then arm yourself and prepare yourselves for this. Because it's clear... Just from listening to Peter over the last uh, few minutes or so, it, it's clear it's not even that they have a different view of history. It's that they are rewriting history and making it their own. That is something that somebody who thinks that they won or are trying to win an argument with history would do. Know the stakes and go unprepared. Did I mention I liked him? Yeah. And, and I, you know what I also think is fascinating about this? Because um, obviously we knew where he stood on this because he wrote the book, right? But to hear him tell us that there was actually already pushback within serious academic circles. Now, I, I mean, he didn't say this, but I, I took that to me. Hey, guys, we are trying to legitimately win a culture war here, Okay. And this is such utter and undeniable trash that you're going to undermine our cause. You know what I'm saying? Like you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna hand the culture war to the trads if you continue down this path of easily indefensible assertions and and and, and disprovable uh, accusations. We're gonna lose this culture war to the trads. The adults have to come in here and get rid of these radical nitwits. That's kind of the way I took that. Yeah. By the way. All right. Fake news or not? Phenomenon. The documentary and aliens. We'll get into it next. with hour two live and on demand here on blaze tv radio and podcast steve dace here with aaron mcintyre todd erzin and all of you don't forget lots of ways via social media to interact with this program like us on facebook uh, over on the uh, MeWe facebook alternative at steve dace both places uh, on twitter at steve dace show uh, on the uh, twitter all facebook or twitter free speech alternative uh, parlor at steve dace there our new youtube page 
youtube.com slash Steve Dace, which really isn't new. We're just going to keep calling it that until we are satisfied with the amount of people that have subscribed to the channel. Fair enough? Yes. Okay. Uh, and then uh, also there's the podcast. You can listen to that if you like that. We appreciate it. Leave us a five-star review and also uh, hit that subscribe button wherever you podcast from. And we want to thank all of you that have done that for us already. That helps the podcast to grow. And then you can email the program, steve at stevedace.com. And again, the last name is D-E-A-C-E. At the bottom of the hour, we're going to be talking about my brand new book releasing today, A Nefarious Carol for Pop Culture Tuesday. But it is now time for Fake News or Not, brought to you by our friends over at Patriot Mobile. It is the season for giving, after all, and Patriot Mobile is back with a brand new Christmas promotion just for you. Until December the 19th, that's this Friday. Uh, until December 19th, get a, or Saturday, I should say, get a Samsung A11 for yourself and somebody else. That's two phones absolutely free. Because with Patriot Mobile, you get the same nationwide coverage because they have the same towers as everybody else, but they'll find a plan that fits into your budget and they don't give your hard-earned money to a bunch of the uh, pagan causes out there that are trying to get rid of your way of life. Instead, they support those causes at Patriot Mobile. Switching is easy. Just go to patriotmobile.com slash Steve. That's patriotmobile.com slash Steve and uh, take advantage of the free activation and a special gift. With that offer code, that's on top of what I'd mentioned, by the way. With the Samsung A11, that's on top of that, right? So get all of that right now at patriotmobile.com slash Steve. Again, patriotmobile.com slash Steve. Or if you're old school or you're driving right now and you're like, I got I to gotta get a hold of them right now. I'm going to forget. Call them. Obviously, we don't want you, you know, uh, uh, emailing while you're driving. So just give them a call. 972-PATRIOT. You can talk to their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. And... Speaking of patriots, if you are a veteran or first responder, you get to save even more. So let them know when you contact them, okay? All right, let's get to it. Um, earlier this year, actually this began last year, but earlier this year, further confirmation has come on multiple occasions now from the United States government that UFOs are real. And that there have been technologies at play that we have observed that we cannot point to their origin on this planet. Is that, I want to state what's been stated and stipulated before we get in any opinion so far, right? I think the the title of the movie is, there have been phenomenon at yes. play, not yes. necessarily technologies. Okay, All right, phenomenon, that, that's fine. Okay, the phenomenon at play, and that's where the movie right. gets its title from, because that is that is the word that the you're, they used. You're right about, thank you for that. All right, so there have been phenomena at play that they cannot point to their origin being from this planet, at least as far as we know what this planet has going on. Fair? Yeah. Okay. In any other era, <laughs> that would probably be like panic, demonstrations, answers, existential angst, right? Yeah. For some odd reason, in our in, in the period of time in which we live, we can't be bothered with it. Which is just to me really odd. I mean really odd. But and I'm not conflating events. But if you're one of those people that's like, I just can't believe there would be a rapture-like event where millions of people would just disappear and in a span of weeks and months with no explanation 
And in a span of weeks and months, the world would largely just kind of move on and act like it didn't happen. Right? Right. Right. Unless the government tells you that there's phenomenon not from this planet that it has observed. And we were like, whatevs. Peace out. You know what I mean? It's kind of a little bit easier to kind of believe now, right? Don't you think? At least a little bit. So earlier, More acceptable. More acceptable that things would just kind of move on. Yeah. I, I can't be disturbed from the complacency or what I'm focused on in this moment, right? Okay. So earlier this year, in response to this revelation, a documentary was produced and released called The Phenomenon. And you can rent this on Amazon.com. And this documentary has, I would say, three parts to it. The and it's and right away you can tell from who voices the documentary that this is not going to be we're not getting that wild-eyed dude from ancient aliens, you know, and Elijah the prophet was actually wheeled away on a Jefferson Starship. You know what I'm saying? We're not getting that. You're not getting uh Merle. And his other brother, Merle, aren't getting anally probed in a trailer park for some grays. You know what I'm saying? We're not, not getting any of that stuff. When the voice comes on at the beginning of the documentary to narrate it, you know right away this one's different because you recognize that voice. If you remember watching the History Channel when it covered history. <laughs> do you remember, guys, remember when the History Channel discovered, talked about history and didn't just do Eric Von Donegan's Chariots of the Gods and rehashed with ancient aliens for 24 hours a day? Do you guys remember that? Yeah, it was like 2003. It's yeah. not really that much of an exaggeration. That's all that's, that's on. That's pretty much all that's on. Yeah. So back when the History Channel used to do history, and gosh, what, what is this guy's name? Um, Peter Coyote. Peter Coyote, thank you. Yeah. Uh, was the narrator for a lot of their historical uh, lookbacks. He is the narrator of this documentary. So right away, this thing wants to send you a sign. Pardon the pun. I didn't actually intend to throw that out there. But right away, this, 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 this documentary is sending a message. This is not your typical, what the hell did I just watch UFO show, right? Is that fair too, so far? Sure. Do you know okay. what his most famous film role ever is? Um, oh, he was in, um, he's the guy in E.T., right? Yep. Yeah. I forgot about that. I that totally you... forgot he's the government guy in E.T. I forgot totally about that. It turns out after reading this, that watching this, that like Peter Coyote has believed in this in a long time, and I'm pretty sure E.T., was not just some fictional imagination story. Chance to work story. with Spielberg for a seven-figure check? No, no there's more going I, on there? I think this okay. this was the reading material for the script. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Okay, I did not know that about him, but you're right. I had forgotten that he was he was the, the uh, government guy searching after E.T. in the movie. Okay. So, um, right away his voice comes on, though, and unless you make that connection, you know him from the History Channel. That's where he's primarily known if you're like Aaron's age, right? That's where you've heard that voice. And then it begins, the first act of this documentary takes you back to the 1950s. And you see a lot of news footage I've never seen before. For example, Mike Wallace. That 
Mike Wallace, that guy. Like, the all-time greatest 60 minutes. Like, the guy, remember the old saying all of our lives was, you, a phone calls you never want to receive. I am with the Department of Health, right? Uh, this is the IRS, right? And I'm Mike Wallace, right? You know that's ending badly. I mean, he was the muckraker all of our lives on 60 Minutes. He's who brought in the, if you wanted to go after the company dumping their waste in the water table, right? Mike Wallace was the grim freaking reaper, right? Sure. Okay. Mike Wallace doing a show on network TV promoting parliament cigarettes, but on UFOs and UFO cover-ups. Footage of President Eisenhower. Um, footage of Joint Chiefs of Staff people doing nationally uh, broadcast radio and uh, that are on film, press conferences, trying to explain away flying saucer phenomenon and, and things of this nature. How many mainstream newspapers do you see that this was on the this was on the cover they were legitimately discussing this okay mm-hmm. that's the first act that that there was it was not abnormal at all in the 1950s to open up the page of the chicago tribune and there's a front page story about this or turn on your television set at night and they were talking about it like it's the news okay that's the first act right then um and, and, and the reason, I'll explain the reason it starts there when we get to the third act. The third act explains why it starts there. But that's the first act. The second act now is when they get into how the government went from acknowledging this to covering it up uh, in the late 1960s and in the 1970s with, with Project Blue Book. And that, that it was a known cover-up. And one of the individuals involved with that uh, who one of the characters that it, it, it was based on him in Close Encounters of the Third Kind with Spielberg acknowledges that they were uh, the French guy. I can't remember yeah. his name. They were they were covering these things up. Jean Paul something's his name, right? And um, and and that's what drove this topic underground when it was above ground. So in the fifties and into the sixties, it was above ground. Mainstream media covered this topic all of the time. And then around the late 60s, early 70s with Project Blue Book, the government went out of its way to drive this concept, this topic underground. So that just wasn't so. So you weren't going to turn on 60 Minutes with Mike Wallace in color talking about UFOs like you could watch him in the 50s and black and white do it. Right. All right. And it's at that point then that we start seeing a lineup of politicians. Um, and it starts with one of the heirs to the Rockefeller Foundation, who was a big donor to both the Bushes and the Clintons. And when Bill Clinton got elected as president, he said, hey, what do you want in return for helping me get elected? He said, I want the truth of UFOs out there, particularly with Roswell. And you start to see John Podesta, Bill Richardson. Um, you see a former Bush administration, uh, Bush era figure in the Department of, of, of National Intelligence. Uh, you see uh, Harry Reid, the former Senate Majority Leader. Let's it be known that he had an off the books earmark investigating UFOs for years that Daniel Inouye, the Democratic Senator of Hawaii, and Ted Stevens, the Republican Senator from Alaska, they were he wanted bipartisan sponsorship of this 
So it could be aside from the political process, because that's how much he believed in this, that this was going on. And that they funded this project for many, many years off the books via the U.S. Senate when Reid was in charge. And this is how the New York Times forced the government to come clean and be honest about this, is they got wind that this off the books earmark was had been funded the entire time and they were going to report on it. And once because now once they find out that that there's a there's an element of the government that's actually funding investigations of the government reads Reed and Anoye and and Stevens what what their earmark is investigating is whether they're being lied to as a congressional oversight entity by the Department of Defense about this. They're being lied to about it. And that's what the New York Times is going to report. Well, at that point now, they feel that that's that's at the point now where the feds feel like they got to come clean about we have we have actually observed some things that we can't explain. Okay, And that second act then takes us into the third act. Which 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 claims that the reason that we started seeing this go mainstream in the 50s. Is that when we when we started testing and using weapons of mass destruction, that was essentially a beacon to more advanced civilizations and that where the most valid sources of unexplained phenomena interaction is actually at high security military installations which house these WMDs and it's been going on for decades and that when when we had perestroika and the fall of the Soviet Union that we went through their records and they had the same things going on at their nuclear military bases that were going on with ours unexplained phenomenon things would just shut down launch codes would just go and they'd have to see if they could get them to stop um, near nuclear exchanges averted okay that they were either being tested or trolled or both by by whatever this phenomenon was okay and that is what harry reed claims drew his attention is seeing what was going on at military installations and the national security risk of this and why weren't we being told about this all right and that's the those are the three acts of the film is that fair yep okay is there anything else before we get into our opinions of this anything else that this film asserts that I left out that you think the audience needs to be made aware of. Yes. Okay. The multitude, two significant ones that come to mind of actual alien sightings and encounters. That's right. There is a, a, a case in Australia you okay. mentioned with, a, or, or no, it's not in, yeah, yeah there's no, one in Australia, Australia and there's another one though that's in Africa. Yep. Okay. Well, I'm dead. well there's one in, New Mexico, yeah. Or where, but but the, the the school children one is different, though. In my view, dozens because, of because there's dozens of kids all reporting the same right. thing. Well, this one's a cop, though. It, that's the it's, other one, yeah, and then they bring true. these kids back, like for reunions, twenty years later. Yeah, and a lot, most of them, they claim haven't seen each other or anything else, mm-hmm. and they all still have the exact same story of mm-hmm. what happened in those events. Right. You're right about that. Okay, Aaron, is there anything else you think we should talk about? Is that pretty much it in your view, Todd? Aaron, do you have so, anything yeah. that we should throw into the conversation? We're just stip- overall no. That's okay. that's the gist of this. All right. Spoiler alert, by the way. Yeah. So with all that set, trust me though. If this is fiction, it's it, it's compelling fiction. I you should still watch it, even though we told you all the details, because we we can't regale you with as with as compelling of a way 
we can't match how compelling they they put all this together on their own. I will say when the packaging is far more compelling than our regaling of it. When I saw it was a hour and a half long, I cursed your name. <laughs> but Steve is correct. It is compelling. It moves along. It's well put together. Okay. So then, opinions. The floor is open. I'm I'm. I want to hear what you guys have to say before I give my own. So, I also don't know what you guys think. So I've, I've been waiting all this time to find out. So um, there's somebody who just tweeted at us uh, that uh, something about uh, they don't believe in aliens as Christians to believe uh, such strikes me as odd. Why don't you listen to the conversation we're about to have before you start tweeting at us? But go ahead, whatever. Um I'll start with the macro. I'd like to start by saying I believe in aliens. Yeah, I'm Aaron McIntyre. Yeah. <laughs> I'll start with the macro, and then I'll kind of go down to a more focused view. You alluded to this, I think, at the first segment of the show, Steve. Whereas we talk about an Overton window. For years, for my entire life, the popular scientists, the Neil deGrasse Tysons of the world, they have been adamant that alien extraterrestrial intelligent life exists elsewhere in the universe. Usually the uh, main reason they gave us that we know the universe is so vast, the chances that we would be completely alone are basically minuscule. That makes sense. And um, say what you want to about, you know, the, the, the allegories that they, they use sometimes. Say what you want. It makes sense. It's accepted within the Overton window. It's accepted within the mainstream of thought. But for my entire life up until the last few years, if you mention UFOs, if you mentioned alien sightings, if you mentioned those types of things... As you alluded to earlier in the show, Steve, you immediately conjure up images or maybe memories of listening to Coast to Coast AM in the middle of the night. I used to, just for entertainment when I couldn't sleep. You conjure up images and memories of less than credible witnesses, air quotes. It's not generally accepted in mainstream. It's accepted in fiction, in science fiction. It's not generally accepted. You Real UFOs. Not generally acceptable in mainstream dialogue or thought. Now, I can't explain why all of the all, all of the sudden, why all of the sudden you're talking about these phenomenon, these aerial phenomenon. I can't explain why that's being accepted right now into mainstream thought and inside the Overton window when for years it wasn't. But it does, as you said before, and you've already made this point, so I, I won't spend very much on it. If the theory or if um, the rapture as we've known it or as we've thought about it is true, this would give government a plausible out as to why all of those airlines crashed, why all of these people disappeared, why a vast swath of swaths of society all around the world just ceased to exist. It gives government an out because if they don't have that out, that's one of the remaining pieces of eschatology that I had trouble connecting the dots with in my mind. How does this play out practically? 
that could be i'm not saying i'm not making a that could be one of the one of the reasons why this is starting to come to light i'm not saying it's going to happen um tomorrow or um next year i'm just saying that it the, 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 the stage could be getting set now as far as so that so that's my macro view as to all of this the real phenomenon to me is why this is now just relatively recently and all of the sudden relatively being accepted within the Overton window within mainstream thought. I, I can't explain why, but I can see I can see why it will be used in the future, if that makes sense. As far as the sightings themselves, I, I don't know. I, it's it's hard to say. It's hard to disbelieve some of the people, especially I believe it was the area in Australia mm-hmm. where this happened. That was that was that was pretty pretty creepy. And both my wife and I watched this together and and we were both pretty creeped out by that. I, I don't know what this is or what these supposed creatures are. Um but what I can say is that it doesn't change anything for those of us uh, who are believers. I don't think it changes much at all uh, because in, in, in scriptures, Christ doesn't, uh, or uh, you know, God doesn't give us a, a theology of a, a, a extraterrestrial life. So I'm, I don't know what the significance is for believers, for us day to day. Um, and I'm, I'm talking seriously now. This is not a three questions question about what would be the best plausible scenario if, if extraterrestrial life. Uh, I don't know. We just have to figure that out if and when it comes and if and when we see it. My gut reaction is this, though, and I'll stop talking and let you guys finish. Uh, it, it could very well just be um, uh, physical manifestations of demonic activity. That's my gut reaction. Todd, what do you think? Oh, let's see. I kept... You had us watch another one a while back that was uh, narrated by Jeremy Piven. Yeah, that one is clearly a re- is introducing an alien-based religion, that one is. That one clearly has a worldview that it is trying to communicate to you, that the alien, that these aliens are our, our new religious uh, deliverers, if you watch that one mm-hmm. that Jeremy Piven narrates, yes. Well, I thought about... Because... The, it is very consistent across uh, different stories and different eras in this. The descriptions they have of the type of object or craft, the shape of it. And you see some of them on tape and, as well. And it's the oval, like yep. what we think of as classic, take me to your leader, the, the yeah. oval orb kind of thing. Yep. And then they keep describing the otherworldly speed characteristics, not only very fast, but fast like that, like it's here and it's not. So there's a consistency of storytelling across that. And then... The uh, a yo moment for me is the the con- the connectivity to nuclear uh, explosions, mm-hmm. uh, and it does a good graphic of. Uh, over time, it shows you that when they've happened, how many of them have happened, the more sightings like this have happened, and then what happened that supposedly happened uh, at these uh, military instara- installations. But I, I have uh, f- um, moves and counter moves, that great line from um, Jack 
Bauer's dads who who's in the uh in the movies about the um Hunger Games, you know, the Hunger Games. He's the he he says Oh, that. Donald Southern Prof- Southern, uh, President, Southern, Southern Snow. President Snow, Donald yeah. Sutherland. Listen, and there's a very sober-minded military men in this who's like so there's a grain of truth of something that happened, but I also think that there's clearly subterfuge going on here, and you don't know which part is true and which part is not. There's a manipulation, I believe, from a military FBI. There's some cloak and dagger going on of keeping people off balance because I, I, I the, the multiple stories of actual aliens in their eyes and all that stuff and then just the the simple like i can't even put it uh, i don't know what happened i uh, all i see is this object and it doesn't make any sense I, I just have a feeling that there's multiple forces within government at various levels that are having some fun for various reasons that i don't know about all I'm saying is nothing I saw is compelling enough to believe that there is a consistent one government narrative that has been that should be embraced or has been released because of what we now know in the news. I think there's competing forces uh, at play here because I don't see enough through the even though it's a compelling for an hour and a half. I don't see one narrative that simply holds together. To me, I think it, there's one of three things is occurring here. There's there's too much evidence out there of unexplained phenomenon, in my view, to just dismiss it. I, I think you have to go to great pains to dismiss all of the unexplained phenomenon as just coincidence. I, I, I just, I don't think that's remotely possible, frankly. So then you have to come up with then, how would you explain the phenomenon? To me, I think you explain it in one of three ways that there is actual life outside of this planet. This is, as Aaron said, demonic manifestations um, of deception. Or this is a very um, cynical way, and, and you unveil this now at a time that Americans want their troops brought home from Afghanistan and Iraq or tired of playing world's mall cop, and... A lot of people on the right and left think probably we're spending too much money on the U.S. military at the moment. And a space force, here's a new bureaucracy and we need it now that we are encountering, um, you know, a whole new um, genre of interaction that may include a military need. To me, I think it is one of those three things. I think it could even be a combination of various things. Like I think, I think because one and two, one or two could be true, that people are trying to cynically cut their own deal and angle in accordance with stuff like that, right? Like grifters with fake exorcisms and things of that nature too. Doesn't mean that possession's not real. It just means this possession probably isn't because you're a grifter trying to take advantage of people's fears. You see what I'm trying to say? Well, that puts a specific face on what I just said. The old people want tamp this thing down. Don't talk about it. You never saw this. And now here in this modern age, the government, the same kinds of people come together and say, well, maybe we can use this. So yeah, yeah, I I agree that's possible. possible. I do. I, I actually think, I don't think, by the way, I mean, the Bible does not give us an account of all life God has created. The angels preexisted the creation of the world. We don't know, it doesn't tell us how and when they were created. We don't know that, correct? We don't know that information. 
Certainly not in a biblical context. Maybe there's traditional um, teachings where that is concerned. But in, in the Bible account, we are not given an account of the creation of the angels, right? So we already have beings that existed before or aside from the creation story of the of, of the heavens and the earth as, and human beings as we know them, right? Yeah, it is. Okay. It isn't explicit, explicitly mentioned in the creation okay. account. So, but... I actually think the fact that the objects are always the same and the and the people or the beings that are encountered all look the same, I think actually strengthens the case for a demonic deception. You know what I'm saying? That the, there's not a, because you would think that we would attract all kinds of living civilizations outside in the universe. It's always this one kind of object. It's always this one looking kind of being mm-hmm. that, that the uniformity of that to me, I think actually infor- reinforces the case of demonic deception. More in a moment. You know, the average American can add almost 100 points to their credit score, but has no idea how to obtain those points. Well, that's where ScoreMaster comes in. It's the new credit science that will help you super boost your credit score. What do I mean by super boost? I'm not talking about a few points here. Uh, the average ScoreMaster user can raise their score about 60 points in about three weeks because they put the power of that information in your hands. You get to see, here's exactly why you have the score you have. And then you tell them, what score do I think I need? Here's how, then, and then they'll tell you, here's how you can get to the score that you need. And that makes all the difference, it might make the difference in whether you get approved for that auto car, which is the same thing, auto home or business loan, or even if you can get an approval right now, how about improved uh, payment terms, a better interest rate? Heck, nowadays it might make the difference in getting a job or not. More and more employers are doing credit background checks as well. So if you want to find out, hey, how can I get the credit score that I want, enroll in minutes over at ScoreMaster and see how many plus points that ScoreMaster can add to your credit score when you visit scoremaster.com slash Steve. Again, that's scoremaster.com slash Steve, just like it sounds scoremaster.com slash Steve. So the conversation we just had in fake news or not is a perfect segue. Unlike the one we had at the end of the last hour, we had this very, very serious academic on giving us great historical detail on why the 1619 project is wrong. We said goodbye to him and and next aliens, right? I mean, that was kind of odd. The pending anal probe. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that was a great conversation we just had about encouraging our daughters to be modest and accept uh, feminine restraint. Next, yes, your mom is that hot coming up now. I mean, that, that's kind of what we did at the end of our, and I didn't realize until you started breaking out laughing. I'm like, what is so funny? And then you told me that's like the worst segue we've ever had. Or the best. <laughs> or the best, yes. This one, though, flows naturally. Because I love the point that Aaron made. That if there was a future rapture event, kind of event, meaning millions of people just disappeared without explanation, you've kind of introduced the prima facie case now for your for your rationale, right? The aliens took them. They're gone. And the government's already acknowledged it. We've been telling you guys for 100 years. A- exactly. We don't know what these things are. Yes. Um, and... When you, anything that gets us 
to look at anything other than the truth of existence, hell is for. Right? Lord Nefarious makes that very clear in a nefarious plot. That they don't even care if what we believe has factual accuracy. Provided that the way we believe it takes away from our acknowledgement of the most important existential truths of the universe, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can be a brilliant mathematician, brilliant. And everything you say about how quadratic equations operate is factually accurate. But if you allow your pursuit of that knowledge to cause you to deny the deeper existential truths of the universe, hell's totally okay with it. I think there's this notion that what what hell promotes is like a vast wasteland of suffering. Not necessarily. What hell promotes is a narrative that takes us and our minds off the things of God. And if prosperity can do that, they will promote that. And if a vast wasteland will do that, suffering will do that, they'll do that. And I, I never intended, as we, as we move from fake news or not to Pop Culture Tuesday, we look at the intersection between what's going on in pop culture and, and conservatism. I never intended to write a sequel to a nefarious plot. I wouldn't even, before April, uh, one April morning of this year, I didn't know how you would write one. Right? If you get to the, the last words of the book are, Mene, Mene, take a la parson where nefarious channels the grim words that the prophet Daniel gives to Nebuchadnezzar's offspring when he's about to be conquered by, I think, is it Cyrus the Mede? Is that who's at the door to end the Babylonian kingdom? And he says, you have been weighed. He writes it in Farsi, his language. You have been weighed, measured, and found wanting. This is it. That's not really... And, and on purpose, I didn't write like any escape hatch in the book at all. None. I resisted the temptation to put anything redemptive in there at all. Because I thought to do so would undermine the effectiveness of everything Lord Nefarious as a character had just said, right? Yeah. So when the book ends that way, and one of the paragons of hell literally spikes the ball in the end zone in your face and and like the minions drops the mic and walks off not really a place for a sequel there you know and i never even thought about writing one um and then i got up early really early one early april morning and i had a vision for a sequel to a nefarious plot i mean you guys didn't even heard me talk about writing a sequel I never even contemplated it it was nowhere even on my radar but 2020 is the year for well i never thought yeah yes exactly and so out of nowhere i came in to work that day i said guys i gotta lay this on you and i had a i had an inspiration for a sequel to a nefarious plot and that this book would be written in a novella form so that it could be easily read and digested on one plane trip, one car ride, etc. And that it would only have 
five chapters, the offer, the past, the present, the future, and the close. And that unlike a nefarious plot, which is really one long lecture slash soliloquy slash rant, this would be one long conversation. And it would be between a woman and the devil. Um, and it would be the devil's attempt to woo her to join him in union, like in a biblical sense, with the purpose of procreating an antichrist. But that for the ritual, there's a catch. For the devil's ritual to be successful, she has to agree to this of her own free will. He cannot intentionally deceive her. The father of lies cannot intentionally lie to her. That doesn't mean everything he says is true or lacks deception, because after all, there's no truth in him, Jesus says, right? Right. But on a one-on-one -on -one level, he has to show in his own warped, bizarro world way that he cares for this mortal. He has to win her to him. He cannot deceive her to him. Otherwise, the ritual won't be successful. He can't rape her, can't impose on her, none of that. And so, one night, at Christmas time, he encounters um, a woman in a motel room who is on the run from an abusive boyfriend. She's estranged from her family. And um, they're a Christian family that has suffered through a lot of dysfunction. And they've tried to kind of cover that up by playing church a lot without really dealing with their issues in a substantive way. She rebelled against what she thought was that obvious hypocrisy and ends up with the bad boy. And the bad boy is a bad boy. And so one night at Christmas time, she f decides she finally gets the gumption to flee him. But she has almost nothing to her name. And she takes pretty much the last amount of money that she has and spends it to get a motel room out in the middle of nowhere in a town she doesn't know at Christmas time in the middle of the night. And she's, a, she's in this motel room, desperate, alone, and afraid. Not sure what her next step is. Or if she even has a next step. And it's at this moment that Satan comes to her and reveals himself fully. Honestly, who he is. And he decides the device that he wants to use to win her over is to emulate her favorite story as a child. The one person she remembered showing her unconditional love was her grandfather when she was young before he died. And he used to read to her every Christmas, Dickens or Christmas Carol. And so to emulate that story, the devil walks her through her past to show her the suffering that she has endured in her past, takes her in, to her own present, how she ended up, how those events in the past caused events that would eventually occur that led her at this moment to being alone and desperate and afraid in this for her own life 
and future in this motel room. And then if she agrees, he will then show her what the future will look like if she then decides to join him. And everything is true from a certain point of view. And then after seeing all of this, she has to decide whether or not to say yes or no. And that's the climactic battle in the book. Because on one level, what he is offering her, again, from a certain point of view, isn't bad. It only becomes bad if, if there's another level to the conversation that, that our heroine, Ray, who no, is not named after the Star Wars character. Um, my mom and my grandmother's middle names were Ray. And since they were the first two people to show me unconditional love, a 15-year-old mom and her mom, my grandmother, raised me when I was a baby, I, I named the character after them. And what makes this offer so tempting is that it begins from a place and a desire that is, is righteous. But without, without someone to show us meaning in our suffering. We have a hard time understanding why, why, the, why the conclusion of this action would be unrighteous. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. you're only seeing a part of the picture, not the full picture. And that's, that's the battle that Ray is waging. Because there's, this part, there's a part of her that says, I know this is wrong. But the rest of her is like, this feels really right. So Todd, you've had a chance to read this book now a couple of times. Your thoughts, without spoiling anything. Well, that last part right there, I think, is really important because that's how people, all of us, have felt in various ways, that tug of war. So I, I, I like how ultimately when the devil plays his ultimate hand, it's it's just an endorsement of all of the smaller hands he's been playing with everybody throughout all human history. I mean, it's that the, 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 dig, the, did God really say it's mm-hmm. in there through and through and through. And I'm so unlike this book, I've, it has a different effect on me, uh, than, um, a nefarious plot that I, very data driven. I, I haven't had new, experiences with a nefarious plot like I have with the multiple times I've read a nefarious carol. It's like reading, catching the Easter eggs, even though they're not necessarily that, Mm -hmm. but because of the interplay and what, with what they're talking, the relational aspect of things, I've found this working on me spiritually in different ways with different readings, catching things I didn't catch before. The, the, The original is much more, Cerebral. There's so much data, so much facts. It's not that you can't come anew to some things, but it's a manifesto. Yes, but the relational yeah. aspect of things is a way it, it gets at you at a level that I think you might find surprising, and you, you know, and if it violates you, 
it probably is working on its best possible level because it's probably tipping over something that needs to be tipped over. One last thing on the book here in a moment. But first, if you are thinking of getting involved in the real estate market during these, ready? Unprecedented times. Bing. Make sure you go in with an agent that you can trust. Now, where would you find this person? Because you know there's no website that says realestateagentyoucantrust.com. But thankfully, Glenn Beck, Glenn Beck and his associates put together a website that says realestateagentsitrust.com where you can trust these agents. Their track records, no matter where they are across the country, have been fully vetted for success and consistency. They they deliver on their promises, especially at the time when they are needed the most because it is difficult to buy and buy and sell a home or just sell a home or you're trying to do them both at the same time in even the best of situations, let alone right now. So no matter where you live, just about anywhere in the country, make sure you go to this website. The name just kind of says it all. Go to this website to find a real estate agent that you can trust. And there's the name. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. What you just said about the first book being a manifesto and, and this one being intimate and a relationship. Right. It, it, it's, it could not be any more different than the first book. It's, it is in no way, shape, or form, and, and tonally, nothing structurally, nothing about it is like the first book. But ultimately, this book answers the question, hey, what if Lord Nefarious was successful? How would his master react? If the United States of America, next to the church itself, had spent the last couple of centuries being the biggest thorn in his side, right? Uh, as a civic version of a shining city on a hill. And suddenly that, that light goes out. It extinguishes its light. And, and, the, and the enemy has a whole new toy he can play with now. And so what if instead of being an impediment to his plans, he now can use the United States as the launching pad for the culminating stage of them? And, and that's what he seeks to do in this book. Um, you can get your copy right now at Amazon.com. There's also information if you want to obtain autographed copies from Premier Collectibles. You can do that as well. Uh, check out that information on all of my social media accounts. Parlor, uh, Twitter, Facebook, MeWe, all of that stuff is there. Uh, I think you're going to like it. And I hope we sold you the story on the merits of it. Not just buy it for my kids Christmas, which I would appreciate if you did that too. John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.